0: everybody and welcome to this very short bonus e5 podcast now this podcast is made up of footage that was recorded a number of months ago as an industry ramble for youtube it was uploaded but never released but there is content within it which we both agreed should be out there so now that we're doing these podcasts we thought it would be ideal to release it in the form of a short bonus episode hello everybody and welcome to another uh, industry waffle or ramble and uh, I'm Paul and today we have another special guest Um, this one I know rather well and none of you know rather well so would you like to introduce yourself
1: Hello, I'm Harry Bransell. I'm the Contracts Manager for working for Haywell Building Services.
0: And uh, we thought we'd take a break from looking at screens and, and have a little bit of a ramble to talk about the industry because um, part of these videos or what we're trying to do is, is uh, show people that everybody does have similar issues. You know, when people sit in a workplace and they have lots and lots of challenges and issues with the industry or, or, or problems, that a problem shared sometimes can be a problem solved. So, um, one th- what would you say in, in, I mean, tell us about your background in the industry before we get into all the questions.
1: Uh, my background, so I originally come in as an apprentice electrician. Um, spent many years working at uh, schools, lots of houses, doing house bashing back and forth. Then went to do a lot of work in London, working uh, every day at the crack of dawn in pubs, doing pub refurbs, which was a lot of hard work, quick installs. Did a lot of mechanical stuff. Uh, after a while, I sort of put myself through the qualifications testing two, three, nine, one, etc., and then got offered a job uh, in the evenings teaching at um, West Hearts College, which I did for one year as a teaching assistant, and then I did for another year as a teacher just in the workshop, in uh, workshop, which was interesting. That was um, sort of another eye opener as well because, like I say, I think something we've discussed before about the quality of the colleges. Yeah. Um, And then from that I got offered a job to come and work for Hollowell Building Services which I spent a year on the tools with them and then sort of got picked up of having something about you and and wanting to be a little bit more and to develop myself and to just sort of get involved with the company and come in the office more, a bit more office based. Um, From there gone on leaps and bounds. I've been doing a MBA for the last three years which I've just finished and hopefully passed.
0: So... um what do you think though, because you obviously, I started off as an electrical contracting as well, I, you know, i worked in a small company that are now huge, um, and um, worked my way through other contractors, EDF being one of them. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge that electrical contractors have at the mo- this moment in time? At the moment? Uh, What's hard about being an electrical contractor?
1: The, one of the hard things at the is technology, and yep. increase everything's moving so quick smart technology you know internet things everything being connected and staying up to date with that because everybody's got a new gadget they want to install and usually it's bought off of um off of I amazon oh, and, yeah <laughs> yes, and, <me>. and, and <laughs> a lot of time. a customer will, will buy something and go can you fit this and you'll look at it and go well not well i wouldn't like to fit it um, but from a contractor's point of view Something we've talked about before. It's very difficult to uh, provide a, a good service sometimes because everybody thinks that they know how much everything costs because everything's so publicly knowledgeable now. And you know they'll quickly go and Google, Amazon. Oh, I can buy that for, for, for fifty pound cheaper. I mean, you're providing it for me, and, and I think you're ripping me off. And and
0: that's a valid point, actually, because you're right. Because I mean, we've in, we've installed some. <coughs> Some mind-boggling smart tech at the moment, and, and probably one of the things that we've had to uh, realise in our pricing is, is there's the unit cost of something, but then there's also the cost and the time of the guy who has to learn how to develop it. Now, the electrical industry, one of the biggest problems is, is and anyone in management or construction or infrastructure, when you get your sparkies, they can run a cable or cable management A to B better than anybody. That's not the hard bit. The hard bit always the management, the cost in the design, the development of the chaps. Because not every electrician or electrical installer knows everything about everything. And the first time we commissioned the first Schneider board, we had to bring Schneider down to the railway to teach one of our best guys. Mm -hmm. So one of our best guys had to be taught by the manufacturer how to install stuff. So when a client is specifying some smart kit, the manufacturers have to go on a journey with the client and the installer. And the client needs to realize that when they're paying the money, our first board wasn't cheap, but it was a journey and a learning curve that I think we've, we're going to be on for some time because we're rolling out more and more we're as we go along. We are doing more of them.
1: And it's an investment from the manufacturers that if they want, at the end of the day the person selling their equipment isn't always designers, it's the electrician who will say I like that bit of kit, I recommend you have this because it's good stuff, it's easy to fit, it's good to work with, it's not a pain in the backside to put together and they know how it works and it actually does something worthwhile, not just a new bit of tech, oh that's shining and nice to have, it will be a, a fad and be over within a couple
0: of weeks. And it is, I, I'll be honest with you, in this role especially I've realised how hard it is for contractors pricing because yeah, unless a client defines every minutia of what they want, when you get a detailed specification, you can line item price that, you can then apportion a reasonable amount of labour, you can then apportion a, uh, an element of risk and then your general operating overheads, and that's that's fine. You can develop programs and you can go and deliver the work. But in in when you're, I mean, your your company do reactive 24/7, and small works and bigger works, building refurbishments, etc., etc. And it and it always starts with the client and the client's ability to develop a full scope of works. Now, in that respect, it's kind of lucky that we work and are going to be working more closer together so that we can come to a common understanding of expectations, standards, products. Um, but it's it's a dual thing, isn't it? We, we I need to realize that I need to do more to support you guys because uh, I, I look at our contractors, my failure is your failure and your failure is my failure, if that makes any sense, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, But also there's that the development of the contractors. So how many clients out there watching this think about I need to help develop my contractors because they don't, and I'll tell you why. Because most clients, when they go to procurement, they say, "I need electrical work done." They'll go, "Great, let's get an electrical contractor," and that electrical contractor will come fully belt and braced with all the knowledge of everything. Rubbish! You are going to fail before you even pick up the phone to your electrical contractor because not all electrical contractors do. Let's be perfectly frank. Because you're absolutely bang on what you said earlier. The the progression of smart technology is brain melting out there now. And a lot of manufacturers wanted to sell direct to clients, which then kind of bypasses the installers, um, which can cause problems. Now, you've recently done a little small bit of lighting for me where you uh, proposed the lights and you knew everything there was to know about those lights and the control and the abilities and the technology, because you'd worked with the manufacturer to develop and grow your knowledge and your competence on it. And, and that's sometimes where things can fail. So if you're procuring an electrical contractor, don't expect just because they're NIC registered or they ECA registered or, or they're registered and they've got lots of badges like, you know, um, safe contractor and all the rest of it, that that means a quality product. It's a journey you have to take on with the guys um, and your costings must allow for... I mean, if they've done it before, no problem. There should be experts in it. And cabling, let's be honest about it, if you're an electrical contractor, yeah. cable management, it's a given. Put up a light, fine. But when you start introducing the smarter side of technology, the you know the Internet of Things, the connectivity, the um, self-aware, self-monitoring technology, we're currently in a, uh, an environment now where lights can monitor you know lighting levels, um, air temperature you know temperatures, uh, gas levels, all sorts of stuff um, within the components. Now all of this smart tech needs to be taught and shared. Now the manufacturers probably need to do more. I think that's fairly evident but also maybe clients and electrical contractors need to do more to make their own awareness there. The biggest problem is, how many of your blokes can you let off to go on training courses every day of the week?
1: Well, this is the issue, and the problem is, when you have a training course, the simplest way to do it is to book a training course and send the guys on it, but then you send the entire team on a training course, and something comes up, you've got no one available, so then you have to do it in bits and pieces and split them up, and it's difficult, it's disjointed, you've got some people that have got the training, some that haven't some that sometimes will forget and not turn up there's another headache and it's a lot of planning and processes and, it, and it's the guys having the willingness to understand why they're doing the training course in the first place is to actually learn a new skill not to turn up sit there get through the day get a bit of paper and go yeah i've got that now can i carry on what i was doing before and forget it within a week
0: when i was on the tools if i ever got offered a course i would move heaven and earth to the point where i would be there outside of 4am in the morning waiting to go on that course but that's another thing. I mean, with courses now as well, especially um the training sector, you send guys on courses and a lot of the training sector at the moment is teaching them to pass an exam, not to use the knowledge. And that is a scary thing for me and what I do, but for you, I mean how how do you how do you even try and approach that sort of thing? I mean what do you think there's anything electrical contractors can do about it? So,
1: okay. Even with getting your, your ticket as an electrician anything, and and any kind of qualification, it's similar to driving a car. Once you've got your once you've got your license, you're safe to be in a car. You don't really learn to drive properly in rows roads until you've been out and do it. So, um, and it's that willingness to learn is something that um, having uh, working where we are now with, with recruiting and employing people, trying to find someone that genuinely wants to understand and learn the trade they're in. Mm and not just turn up for the day, do eight hours and go home and that'll do kind of attitude and to, to, to be, have an invested interest in what they do and to be able to look at their work and, and want to develop themselves. And then it's a, a double-sided coin of those that then put themselves out and train themselves up to the hill, learn all that technology, then get stuck in a position where they think, well, I'm actually now over-educated for the role I'm in. Mm. And they want to move on. And then you're struggling to try and keep those people. Um, and then you have the issue with the ones which are always better and putting themselves out are the ones that then by default get picked on Of send them, get them to do it because they know it. And then yeah. and you'll get stuck in that divide of the people that, that do the day-to-day I think and the people that try more and sometimes don't feel like they get um, appreciated for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic, isn't it? I mean, I've met guys who... Uh, i for one could not be an old boy spark i love the old boy sparks by the way but i couldn't do one because i've got arthritis so i always knew at an early age i would need to get off the tools and i can't understand guys who don't come to work with enthusiasm but i've been on so many sites so many sites we go on big sites like even excel and, and all sorts where i was on there a lot of the guys are very you know bitter or angry or feel down and depressed whether it's Personal issues, which let's be honest, about back construction industry years ago wasn't very sensitive to, mental health awareness, which is terrible. But um guys, you're right, you get like that I need someone to do testing, oh well, he does testing, and it's it's all on one poor bloke who's then strained and stressed out, where the other blokes don't want the stress or the strain unless there's a financial they the incentive. They do the easy stuff. or and, and also, there are guys who just want to turn up, do seven hours a day, do the minimum, not stand out, and that's fine. But our industry is in dire need of good guys who can be site managers, um, project engineers, project managers, contract managers. There's not enough good ones out there. Trust me, I've met some absolute horrors you're one of the good ones by the way just put it on camera he's <laughs> yeah, very yeah. good um so don't don't ring him up and steal him um but there are some horrors out there who don't know that they don't know um and it's how does the industry some contractors will just go "Oh, i've got a terrible contract manager or terrible project engineer it is what it is and that's fine but if they're not developing them then that just becomes a cost to the client it becomes a cost to the industry it becomes a rework cost or worst case scenario a safety hazard later on
1: there's a there's sometimes that fear of, of when you're in a position, you're in a room, and you don't know something, it's very rare someone will say, I don't know that, what are we are talking about, I have no understanding, and then, and then because what you end up with is everybody going, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, well, yeah, we'll do that, we'll do that, oh, I know what you're talking about, but that's fine, they walk out of the room and go, I'm not really clear what we're talking about, then and that might be something very important. Um, but it's almost out of like peer pressure or something like being at school and not being the only one in the room who didn't know. But sometimes you might find in that room of say eight people talking about something, only the one person that brought it up. Sometimes yourself will actually know what you're talking about, and everyone else will be nodding their heads, and then yeah. everyone walks out the room thinking everybody knows, but nobody knows.
0: So I left college not knowing what echo potential was. I left I did my part two and I left not knowing there's a bit of a confession there actually I um, mean it was only when I did my 2391 with a guy called Graham Moulds in Wickford and he was an old boy wonderful old man um, and he bounced around the room he must have been 60 odd with such passion and enthusiasm that he made cogs turn and click and this is the trouble with our industry it's You can't teach people something immediately. You have to sow the seeds of knowledge, let it grow. And this is the whole point of my view on Is The first step of competence is having the ability to know you don't know or you can't do something. That's step one for me. Your your skills will come from, uh, from the training you receive and the application of that training and knowledge over time that develops the skills. Your awareness of your ability to do something is then your awareness, I can do this, I can do it well and safely and repetitively do it to the point where you're so good at it, you can show other people. That to me is the journey of competence, but not forgetting even if you're really good at doing pipe work or trunking, that you get to something brand new and you just got to go, somebody's invented a new hybrid of cable tray and basket and trunking i don't know how to do this uh, but your passion inside of you will want, make you want to learn and i think i think the industry at the moment our guys go on courses just to pass yeah not to learn how to use the blue book in in the electrical industry it's, it's past the 18th edition exam and there's a perception out there that oh great he's uh, and the agencies are so guilty for it he's 18th edition qualified he does he know how to use the book? Because all that exam is is can you pick up the wine rigs book? And how yeah. many electricians own a copy of the book? Not that many. Yeah. Not industrial. A lot of
1: people, especially especially in um, uh, house, especially and that, it becomes unneeded. The only time you ever do it if you're doing a long run of armored, and because and you'll go in and they'll go, oh yeah, ring mains two point five, lines one point five. That's all we use. Don't need to know anymore. They don't, and they don't think, and. Even with the, the testing and like you say, that there's always, um, well, I don't do the testing, he does. But then the problem with that is, unless you're filling out those certificates regularly, you don't know what the items are you need to be looking for and, then, and all the specifics of why you're doing this. And then if you've got someone coming in that does the wiring and another person does the testing, there's that gap of, well, how did they wire so that? How could, did they connect this? How you, did they do that?
0: You could say that competence is the re- repetitive action of doing something well, mm. almost. So if you're not doing something repeatedly line inspections so we're not competent on testing anymore because me and you are not doing testing anymore so we're not competent to test anymore we're rusty as hell although in fairness with most things when you're a spark once a spark always a spark um you'd get good at it but there is that bringing back up of confidence testing was my favorite thing in the world because it got my brain cells going bonkers and the more i learned the more i realized it wasn't being done properly or corners were being cut or QS is sat in an office going, yeah, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. Do four houses in a day or do a building in like five minutes, just put a mega across it and one earth loop and the rest is bingo calling. Um, Drive-bys, as some people call. Um, So yeah, I think it's fairly evident there is a competence issue in the industry. Um, I'm lucky in respects if I have Hollywell because Hollywell are, as you can probably tell, very um, consciously competent. You're aware of your own abilities. We try
1: to... understanding what you can't do and trying to trying to improve that and fill that gap in one way and that's
0: and that is definitely the journey um the journey is definitely always going through competence i mean i'm learning stuff from them which is good because as a client i'm not always right um and harry's always been told and i'll tell you on camera if i'm wrong say oi paul shut the bleep up um so we you should have that relationship with with your clients um but I'm going to slightly diverge now from this and i want to ask you the most difficult question ever asked in the electrical industry ever okay many people have been asked some have failed so um it's it's very simple um if you had to choose star wars or star trek
1: (laughs) You
0: had to pick one. Do you go to an island? That's it. It's Star Wars or Star Trek forever. Nothing else. Which one would you pick? Oh, you've got me. Come on.
1: Star Wars is more fun, I would say.
0: <gasps> yeah, it is fun, actually. It's
1: more fun. Um, you know, lightsabers swinging around, I have and well. dancing around, etc. Star Trek is more of your soap opera style. Day to day. It depends how long you're stuck on there's, the island for. There's
0: no Pat Butcher on, on Star Trek, but yeah.
1: If you're stuck on the island for fifty years, at least you've got like a ten series box set to
0: yeah. watch. Yeah. See I'm a Star Trek Deep Space Nine um person myself and there are other people around the industry who are Star Wars fans. Um but no, it's good. Last one of the last people I, I asked, they didn't would never even watched it, so well, how can you even how, well? Where can you even go with that?
1: Um, States Nine was a bit of a, a niche series; not that everybody liked it. I they?
0: loved it, loved it, loved it. I think that was why I loved it so much because it was just different. It was a freshing breakaway, and it was more stable. and I liked it. it was a diverse community coming together. It's really weird that Star Trek was showing people how they should behave years before. We now have all the muggings and stabbings and killings, but yet in Star Trek they're all aliens. They all get together, they all work together, they're all you know, good mates and pals, And but hey, you can't get everything you want in life. Um, so just back on one thing I want to talk to you about. Um, if you could improve the electrical industry, or, because or, you're a tier two contractor, but you're also a principal contractor as well. Mm-hmm. What would you say, um, very quickly, is the hardest thing about winning work?
1: The hardest thing at the moment is we, the problem we've had this previously is that not everybody tenders the same job. Mm. So you'll get a spec and a scope of work. um, If you're lucky. If you're lucky. If it's any good. But I I would say 90% of all the, the scopes and the specs I've had that I've tended for were not very good. Missing information. It was hidden. There'll be one thing on the drawing that's very important, it isn't in the spec. The spec won't have the details, you'll be missing drawings. Um, And there's always a caveat in in the end of a tender. If there's anything you feel we have missed, please add it here. Um, And stuff that we've been penalised for before is we go, right, well, well, this is missing, you've missed this section. If you want to actually get a supply there, there's another 200 metre dig to go across, which will need ducting and being put in properly. Every 30 metres you'll need a turning chamber. And you add all that in, and miraculously, your cost you're like, oh, we're about £80,000 more expensive than the other person, you'll lose the tender, and then at the end of the program, and it's all finished, and job, oh, there was a lot of additions on that cost. How much? About £80,000 worth of stuff we didn't realise what it was. And it's very difficult to be competitive, Um, and, and it gets to a point that what you end up having to do is price the very bare minimum exactly what is on. That specification, and then and then you end up writing a three-page cover letter to say we haven't allowed for this, we, we haven't allowed, allowed for, for that, we haven't yeah. allowed for that, um, which isn't really right. It's kind no. of um, I, I would say that with there being so much technology now and everything's instant and everything's get it out quick that there's not enough time spent on scoping works and and thinking it through of how it's going to be done properly to give a proper schedule of works that you could say to a contractor, this is what we want to do, this is what we're doing, this is the kit we want, it's already been designed, design's here for you, ready to go, um, price this piece of work, and that's we're going to store it. I and agree. if it's different, that is an addition, rather than we would like to I don't know, build this building and put those stuff on, give us a price for it, um, and then you go, okay, what kind of lights do you want? Oh, that's up to you. Okay, well, well what kind of tainment do you want? Oh, well, you tell us. Um, what's the supply characteristics coming in? Oh, we don't know, do a survey. And then you could, you could spend three weeks scoping and pricing and tending a job, and you don't win it. And then you find out that the other person who did win it didn't even go to site to check it, but they had the lowest number at the bottom of the tick sheet. And that sort seems to be everybody's motivation these days is yeah, you'll put a massive tender in about this big, and it goes to procurement, and they'll go right, straight to the back, their cheapest, get them in for an interview all do the job yeah that that is the biggest problem but it's never cheaper because whatever is missing in that has to be done eventually but once that contract is in that position they're 60% through the works and they go we're out of money and then you know you've got half a job but if you look for allow specifications we've done we didn't actually allow for that and it wasn't in your tender package so we can do that for you but that's going to be uh, an extra, inflated cost because now we've got an open checkbook because we're we're in bed with the project and and you can kick us off if you want to, but it's going to cost you more money. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not good. The construction industry on
1: both sides, really. It's it is. Contractors no contractors, which which sh- you know should be providing that information, should be providing that expertise to people and to the client to say to the procurement team and to the people developing that that you do realise this this scope isn't right and getting those information I think, early.
0: I think there's a liability on the client to. Uh, consciously procure a contractor that yes gives them value but value doesn't mean the cheapest must win mm-hmm. um, value is this person read and understood the requirements correctly and will deliver it for the best possible price and where there's a saving to be made they will offer that up openly and in an honest manner that to me is value to a client um, if, if we priced a job for a hundred grand and if you came back to me and said you know what, Paul actually we can do that 20 grand cheaper wow that to me is value. That's value in a and supply chain. and Value in not have impact. that twenty
1: grand back. But okay, well, we can upgrade the spec on this project. Then we can make it. better. We can give we can you can a, give an extended extra. asset
0: life. Yeah, absolutely. We can go and fix. Make sure there's no tide marks. Or uh, absolutely. And I think the constructions. You look at major projects nowadays. It's they spend years developing the scopes of work. But they're so big. They're so onerous that the contractors come back with such huge inflated prices. Once they're awarding the contracts they then if they if they have a fallout or something goes wrong either a contractor gets slightly undermined and screwed over or um they then leave but it costs the client more mm-hmm. so you, sometimes you just can't win no matter what you do and i i personally think i think clients should be directly procuring i mean we're lucky in the respects of we procure you guys direct and there's no middleman because you can act as a principal contractor in a tier two um but I, I suppose it depends on the project, the client, the infrastructure, the size, the cost, and all the rest of it. And someone's knocking on the door, trying to interrupt us. Um, so we'll end this now. Uh, You've just walked into a live broadcast, but never mind. So well, right, right. come in, stick. <laughs> no, it's not a live broadcast. I'm only winding you up. So our other contracts manager has walked into the video. Um, say your name and say hello.
1: I'm name's Greg no, Walter. no, come in,
0: come in. So, stick your red right in.
1: Hello, my name is Graham Colesill. Pleased to meet you.
0: And who do you work for? Holwell
1: Building Services.
0: Great, there you go. So <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna end this. Um, so thank you very much, Harry. Thank you very much for interrupting, and You're and um, we'll see you on the next one. Take care of yourself and each other. See ya. Bye. That's that. I hope I recorded it. <laughs>